normally you get up to the podium and say it's nice to be here it's not I don't know if you say that in Tishma it's nice to be I don't know I'll, I'll just honestly, I'll tell you, Tisha B'Av is a difficult day. I'm not even really sure what to do with it. I mean, there's the halacha. You, you can follow what it says in Shulchan Aruch. But I'm saying how to feel about it. I'm not comfortable with the day. I'm kind of hoping that we get rid of it as soon as possible. Even Mashiach could come today and we don't even have to finish Tisha B'Av. Or actually, we could really have the real Tisha B'Av. As we know, Tisha B'Av is called the Mayed. It's called the Yom Tov. The Rambam says in the end of Hilchas Tainus that when Mashiach comes, the fast days are not only going to be uh, no longer sad, they're going to become Yom Tevim. They're going to become happy days. So we'll have the real, we'll have the real Tisha B'Av. Um, Mashiach was born on Tisha B'Av. The Yerushalmi says the time of the Chorban was the time of the birth of Mashiach. So that's really... This weird thing we're doing for 2,000 years is very awkward for a Jew. And I guess what I'm saying is, sooner the better we get the awkwardness behind us, we get to the real Tisha B'Av, I think we'll be more comfortable, and the Shechina will be more comfortable, and the world will be more comfortable, and yeah. Um, you know, along these lines, there's a story, I'm saying along the lines of not knowing really even how to deal with the Tisha B'Av, because it's not a normal thing, it's a weird thing, I mean... Gullus is not normal. It's it's an aberration. It's abnormal. It's not how the world's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be suffering. There's not supposed to be uh, not even supposed to be death. Adam Rishon was created to live forever. Mashiach comes, people are going to live forever again. It says in the end of Maid uh, Cotton. So uh, this whole thing is just awkward. There's a they, they didn't know what to do with Tisha B'Av because you have the halacha, you have the, you have the obligations. But on the, end, on the other hand, where they said it is that if Hashem Tisha B'Av is like so you have to have the Tisha B'Av is Tisha B'Av, but then at the same time you can't fall into atzvus, you can't become depressed. And they used to have these things like the a lot of I'm talking about. Not uh, simple people. Talking about very lofty spiritual people used to have uh, on Tisha B'av, they'd have uh, conduct that maybe we would look at as a little bit funny. They would like uh, play pranks and jokes. So there's a story happened by the Rushen Tzadik, Rabbi Sral. He was the great-grandson of the Mezitcha Magid. He had chesidim on Tisha B'av. I'm talking about grown men. I'm not talking about little kids. In order that the Chas they shouldn't fall into Atzvus, they would like play pranks in shul. And, and one of the pranks is they set up a booby trap by a skylight. Basically, there was a skylight in shul, and they lowered ropes onto the floor, and it's, you know, the shul is dark, Tisha B'Av, and you, the ropes were on the floor, so you couldn't really see the ropes. And then when somebody would walk into shul, the guys, they had these chavr standing up on the, on the roof by the skylight, standing around the skylight. When somebody would walk into shul, they'd tug on the ropes, they'd pull the ropes like a net, and pull the guy up. Basically, imagine that you walk into shul, and all of a sudden the floor comes up, and they pull him up to the ceiling, and the guy would be up there by the skylight, and then the guys on the roof would look at him and laugh. This is what this is what the, the Ruzhiner Talmidim were doing. So one time, somebody walks into shul on Tisha B'av, 
and uh, they felt uh, somebody step into the net. So the guy's standing up on the roof. They tugged up on the ropes, and they pulled up the net, and they pulled the guy up to the skylight, and they looked down, and who did they see? Who did they just catch in their, in their little trap? It was Rabbi Yisrael Ruzhina, the Ruzhina Tzadik. It was their Rebbe. So they were shocked. They were horrified. They just froze. They didn't know what to do. They're, 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 they're up on the roof. They're holding their Rebbe in this, in this silly contraption. And he's, he's suspended there by the ceiling. And they couldn't even move. They couldn't speak. And at that moment, the Ruzhiner looks up through the skylight. He looks past these guys. He just looks heavenward. And the Ruzhiner Tzadik says, Rebbeinu Shalaylam. If your children don't even know how to behave on Tishabov, take it away from them forever. So, that's what I'm saying, I guess. It's like, I don't want to get good at Tishabov. I don't want to figure out how to excel at Tishabov. I, I want it to be awkward, and I want Hashem to take it away from us forever. Or give us the real Tishabov, which is a Moyed, where we can celebrate the Gula. But none of, I don't want to get good at this. You know, many Eden, find a Eden after Tisha B'Av, they would take their kinnis and put it straight into Shemus. Not to Chas V'Sholem say that I want to get very good practice at keeping this book around. There's a story in the Gemara, the, the, the Siam of Machis. A weird story. It's a famous story, I'm sure you all know about Rabbi Akiva. The other Tanayim, when they saw the, the site of the destruction of the, the Besamikdash, they cried, the Bikibel laughed. Well, how do you make sense of a story like this? They're coming to the place where the Besamikdash was destroyed. If I told you Afrum Yid was laughing, Tishabov. Not just a Fermayid, a rabbi. Not just Tishabov, at the place where the Besamikdash was destroyed. He saw, the, he saw the, the, the foundation in ruins. And I told you, such a person's laughing. It's like, it's very strange. What do you make of this? And they asked him, he said, Why are you laughing? He said, Why are you crying? So he told them. He said, There's a Navua. Says in Micha that Tzien Sade Techarish Tzien means the Mokem Mikdash, the place of the, the temple, is going to be plowed like a field, like a Sade. It's going to be plowed like a field. So he says, I see now the Besamikdash is plowed like a field. I mean, I knew it was destroyed. They lived, Rabbi Kiva lived in the time of the Chorban. He knew there, there was a Chorban, obviously. But now he sees the extent of it. It's not just that the building's broken up or smashed up. No, it's literally, it's plowed like, you understand what it means? Plowed like a field. It means down to the foundation. Down to the foundation. So he says, now I see that this prophecy is true. Seeing. So then all the good prophecies are true too. That's why I'm laughing. Rabbi Akiva didn't know. He wasn't sure that there was going to be a Geula until he saw the extent of the Chorban. That doesn't even make sense. You hear my question? The fact that there's going to be a Binyan Besamikdash, there's going to be a Geula Shleimah, there's going to be Bias Mashiach, this is Yud Gimel Ikrim. I mean, Rabbi Akiva came long before the Rambam. He didn't need the Rambam to tell him that. Rabbi Akiva, this is basic Judaism. 
But Rabbi Akiva was the one. He was such a believer. Mashiach could come. Remember, he held uh, armor for Bar Kaziva. He was hoping he would be Mashiach. So Rabbi Akiva knew Mashiach is a reality. Until he saw the Chorban plowed like a field, that was when it made sense to him. Oh, now, oh, now there's going to be a Geula. It's a funny story. There was a Yid in Russia, in Soviet Russia. He was in prison for uh, anti, what do you call it, uh, anti-revolutionary activities, counter-revolutionary activities, which was basically what? Being, being Jewish. So this Jew is in Soviet prison, and he's writing to his wife. His wife is writing to him. Officially, they have freedom to write, and they could write whatever they want, but he knew everything's being read. They're reading all the mail. So... Uh, his wife writes him a letter. She says, Yankel, it's time to plant the potatoes. And the ground is so hard, it's so tough, I can't break, you have to break the dirt in order to plant the potatoes. She says, I, I, I'm not strong enough to do this myself. I always relied on you, my husband, to come and break up the ground and then we would plant the potatoes. And I can't do it, I don't know what to do. She writes him a letter in prison. So the husband, Yankel, he writes back to his wife. He says, do not try to break up the ground in our yard, leave it alone, because that is where I hid all of my weapons. She gets the letter, she reads the letter. As she's reading the letter, a truck full of soldiers pull up with shovels and with axes, and they start smashing up the yard, and they're turning over all the soil, and they're looking for these weapons, right, that they read about in the letter. They turn over everything, can't find anything, they leave. She writes back, Yankel, I don't know what happened. The soldiers came, they tore up the whole yard with the shovels, with the axes, they turned up all the soil, they turned it all over, and they left. He writes back to his wife, now plant the potatoes. You hear what I'm saying? Chrisha is one of the Lamites Malachas. Plowing is a productive activity. Right? Something, 39 forms of prohibited labor on Shabbos. Only things that are productive. So smashing up the ground, tearing up the earth, is that destruction or is it growth? Huh? If you take a snapshot, you look at it frozen in time, you say, it's destruction. They're destroying the earth. The soldiers are coming with their shovels and their axes. They're tearing up the ground. And in their mind, by the way, the soldiers do think they're destroying the ground. But if you look at the whole movie, if you look at it as part of a process, so the tearing up the ground wasn't destruction. It was plowing. Plowing makes the ground fertile. And the more you plow, the more things grow. That's why plowing is one of the Lama Tesmalachas. Actually forbidden on Shabbos because it's productive. It's not destruction, it's productive. So th- th- this, this is the vort. Of course Rabbi Akiva knew that there's something called a churban. And of course Rabbi Akiva knew that there's something called a geula that comes after that. Of course he knew that. And he knew that long before he saw the churban. He didn't need to see the churban to know that there's going to be a geula. And there's going to be a binyan beis hamikdash. He knew that. But see, 
He didn't know how bad the Chorban was. He didn't know the extent, how thoroughly destroyed. He didn't know. He hadn't seen it. There were no pictures. People don't post it and send around on WhatsApp. Even though it happened in his lifetime. Until he saw, literally like the Nevoah says, You know, a negative prophecy can be averted or mitigated. So he wasn't sure if the negative prophecy came true to the fullest. He saw, seeing, No, the base of Mignesh was plowed, plowed deep, thoroughly. The destruction was all the way down. Then he laughed. He said, wow. Such plowing is going to lead proportionately to such great growth. That's why he laughed. Not because that was the first moment that he believed in the Gula. He always knew there was going to be a Gula. But the Gula is not a monolithic thing. It's not, it's not just this one concept called Gula. There are levels of Gula. There are levels of how great the revelation of godliness can be in this world. And what does it depend on? The level of revelation. How thorough. How great godliness will be revealed in the world. People with their fleshly eyes will see that Hashem is creating the world. But there's degrees to that. The degree of that revelation, the intensity of that revelation, is proportionate to the intensity of the Golas, the intensity of the Chorban. And that's why the other Chachamim told Rabbi Akiva at that moment, Akiva Nechamtonu, Akiva Nechamtonu, Akiva you consoled us, Akiva you consoled us. Twice, why they repeat it? Why'd they say it twice? He didn't hear the first time. Why'd they say it twice? So a husband sitting in the kitchen reading the newspaper and he says to his wife, this newspaper article says that women speak twice as many words as men. She says because their husbands don't hear them the first time. He said, what? I told you, I don't know, I'm probably not telling jokes on Tishabah, but I told you, I don't know how to handle Tishabah. Why did they say it twice? Akiva Nechamtono, Akiva Nechamtono. The first Nechama was, it's going to be okay, there's going to be a Gula. But that they knew already. He was just reassuring them of something they knew. Then there was a second Nechama. And the Geula that's coming is even greater than I imagined. Because if the Chorban is this thorough, when you plow that deeply, things grow proportionately that much more. The Geula is going to be proportionately a greater Geula. That was the second Nechama. This is also coming up, Shabbos Veschan and the Shabbos after Tisha Shabbos Nachamu. This is what the Navi says. Nachamu, Nachamu. Twice. Why twice? Not just that the Gula is going to come and put an end to the Gullahs. Shkoyach, thank you. So you tortured me and now you stopped. No. The second Nechama, which is much more important than the first one, is that Gullahs will be transformed into Gula. That the plowing, the destruction, will prove to have been all part of the process of growth. And what that means is, all of the pain that we've been through, collectively as a nation through our history, and also individually, you and your personal life. 
all the pain that you've been through, not only there'll come a time where it'll end, it'll be gone, but we will be able to see how everything that happened to us that felt like breaking and it felt like destruction, it was really plowing, it was making it possible for there to be greater growth. We don't see it now because we're in the middle of the process. And that's why Tisha B'Av is still this awkward day where we're just, we only have the pain. But very soon, we're going to see the real Tisha B'Av, that Mashiach was born, like the Rishalmi says, on Tisha B'Av, and specifically one Tisha B'Av afternoon. We're going to see the Tisha B'Av as a mayat. We're going to see that all of the pain we went through was part of a process of greater growth. And by the way, why was it only Rabbi Akiva who saw it? The other Tanoim couldn't see it? So I'll tell you why. Who are the other Tanoim he was with? Rabbi Gamliel, Belazah ben Azariah, Rabbi Yeshua, Choshev Yidin. But I'll tell you something, that was their problem. They were so Choshev, they came from such illustrious Yichos. Rabbi Gamliel is from Shevet Yehuda, he's from the Malchus, he's from the kingship. And he was the Nasi, he was a family of Nasiim, leaders. Belazah ben Azariah was a Kain, a Kain descended from Ezra HaSeifer. Rabbi Yeshua was a levy. These guys, these were the FFBs. They grew up, they never went to public school, like we were hearing about what Chazak does, getting these kids from public school and bringing them to a real Jewish chinuch. No, they never went to public school. They went to the best yeshivas. They were the best in their class, in the best yeshivas. In fact, their fathers were the rabbis in shul. These guys had a straight path to Torah greatness. Who's Rabbi Akiva? Shepherd, illiterate, public school kid, couldn't read Aleph Base. Ben Gadim, descended from converts to Judaism, no yichus. What a story, Rabbi Akiva. Not the guy you would expect to become Moshe Rabbeinu in his time. Like Moshe Rabbeinu lived to 120, Rabbi Akiva lived to 120, and he was Moshe Rabbeinu in his time. And he had a weird life. 40 years illiterate, 40 years as a Talmud, and then 40 years as the teacher of Kal Yisrael. A very strange trajectory of a life. That's why Rabbi Akiva was able to hop what the other Tanoim couldn't. Because Rabbi Akiva understood Sometimes things happen in a straight line. You grow and you grow more and you grow more and you grow more. And that's great. That's nice. But sometimes things happen in a weird way. Where there's detours and deviations. And there's setbacks. And there's falling down. And it looks like you're getting farther and farther away from your goal. But if you can look at the big picture you realize all of the things that happened that I thought were destruction and breakage were really an essential part of the process of becoming who I need to become today and reaching my full potential. And that really, nothing's a setback. Nothing's a deviation. These are just different paths to making the ultimate redemption more complete. 
We could have had a straight path. Parshas Veschanan is coming. Meshur Rabbeinu wanted that he should go straight into Eretz Yisrael. He should build the base of Mikdash. And like the Megala Amuke says, if Meshur would have built the base of Mikdash, it would have stood forever. There would have never been a Chorban after. But that wasn't Hashem's plan. Hashem's plan was that our story should be a lot more interesting than that. Think about your own life. Now I hope you're sitting there and you're listening to me right now and saying, I cannot relate to this whatsoever because my life has been good the whole time. I never had a setback. I never suffered. I never experienced loss. My life's been comfortable and good. Materially, spiritually, I hope that is the case and you're staring at me like I'm speaking Martian. But if you have had an interesting life, the Jewish people have certainly had an interesting history, I can tell you that. Then I want you to understand what Geula means. Geula doesn't just mean an end to the pain. Gu'ula means where we can see how the painful moments were not destruction, but they were plowing. They were part of the growth process to bring about an even greater gu'ula. The understanding of elokus, of godliness that we are going to have when Mashiach comes, is going to be greater because of what we've been through. The Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote a letter once in 1956 to the president of Israel, to the Nasi. You know, they have the Rosh Shalah, the Prime Minister, and they have the Nasi. Nasi, I would say in my accent. And uh, the Nasi was Yitzchak ben Tzvi. He was the first president and longest serving president of Israel. And the Rebbe writes to ben Tzvi, and apologizes for not using his proper governmental title. He doesn't call him Nasi. And the Rebbe says, I hear that you're a real guy, you're a sincere person, and you wouldn't want flattery, and you wouldn't want me to be a faker, so I'm not going to use the term Nasi on you. And the Rebbe explains, because the word Nasi for me has very, very personal meaning. Then the Rebbe gives a very rare glimpse into his personal life and says, the word Nasi is a Torah word. It's not a secular word. It's not a governmental position. A Nasi means a true leader of the Jewish people over whom there's no greater authority than Hashem alone. He's directly answerable to Hashem Aleikov. A Melech. And ultimately, the real Nasi will be Melech HaMashiach. So the Rebbe says, since I was three years old, from the day I went to Cheder, and even before. Can you imagine a little child? And I don't know if you know anything about the Lubavitcher Rebbe's life, but you know his childhood. They were, when he was a little kid, they were hiding from the Cossacks. There were raids, there were pogroms in his town. His mother wrote, Rebbe Tzinchana, she writes in her diary, by the way, Rebbe is also, you can visit her caver, is also here in Queens. Queens is the holiest borough. You have the oil, and you have the Rebbe Rebbe's mother, Rebbe So Rebbe writes in her diary that 
when there, there was a pogrom and the Cossacks were raiding the town, she said her little son, he was a little kid himself, he was soothing the other children from crying because if they would cry, the Cossacks would find them and kill everybody. He was giving out candies and he was calming the other children so that they shouldn't cry and be discovered. So you're talking about somebody, Lubavitch Rebbe grew up with that. And then came the communist revolution. His father was sent into exile and ultimately died. That was his father's yard said coming up, Chafav. Then the Holocaust and his brother was murdered and his, his, his wife's family was uh, her sister and, and husband were murdered. He did not have an easy life, I'm saying on a personal level. And the Rebbe's writing to Yitzhak ben Tzvi and he's saying, my whole life I'm imagining the Gula. Since I'm a little kid, since I'm a baby, I'm imagining the Gula. And this word Nasi has a very specific connection to Geula because Nasi really means Melech HaMashiach. And I just can't use that word to talk about a secular governmental title. The Rebbe says, do you know what it means when Geula comes? It'll be like the Navi says, that we're going to turn to Hashem. And after everything that the Jewish people went through for 2,000 years of the most horrifying brutality, the Navi says, we're going to turn to Hashem. When Mashiach comes, we're going to say, Eidcha Hashem, Hashem, Naftabi. Hashem, I'm going to thank you for the pain. How is it possible to thank Hashem for the pain? Maybe you'll thank Hashem for stopping the pain. Maybe you'll thank Hashem that we're no longer in Gullus. How are we going to thank Him for the Gullus? Does it make sense? I understand you thank Hashem that we're no longer in pain. Why would you thank Hashem for all the pain? Why would I thank Hashem for the worst day of my life? Why would I say, Hashem, I remember the moment when I was in the greatest pain. Thank you. I'm, I cherish the moment. Why would I ever say that? There's only one possible explanation. When Mashiach comes, it's not just an end to the pain that our people have went through, that, that each of us individually have gone through. It's not just an end to the pain. When Mashiach comes, all of a sudden we look back and we see the whole story and we see that the moments of destruction were plowing. They were plowing and they were making greater growth possible. Whatever you've gone through, you're a hero. Like the Jewish people, we are all heroes. And you're surviving and you're thriving and you're looking forward to the moment when Mashiach will be here and finally... You'll be able to look at your moment of devastation and cherish that moment to see the possibilities that it led to. I'll only say one other thing, which is, I told you already, it's very awkward for a Yid on Tishabov because we are not built for Golis. We're built, we're built for Geula. Golis is not a home for a Yid. Literally, it's not, we're not home. We're not at home in Golis. We don't know how to... Hey, we don't know how to deal with Tishabov. It's not a normal day. Give us some normalcy. Nobody should die ever again. That's how Adam and Chava were created, to never die. The Abishai should get rid of death. There should be no war. There should be no famine. There should be no children and parents who don't talk to each other. There should be no Jews who don't know what Shabbos is, who don't know what it means to be Jewish, to put on tefillin every day. These things are not normal, and we're not comfortable with it. And we're not comfortable with Tisha B'Av, because the Siba of all this dysfunction is the Chorban. Hashem, we want normalcy. We want to be restored to normalcy. And that means that we live forever. That God is something we see with our eyes. I don't want to hear any more of people telling us, Chalim is fantasies. You're imagining. 
Our flesh should be able to see Gilelokos. That's normal. That's normal. But I want you to understand that whatever you went through up until now, whatever you went through up until now, not only is it coming to end very, an end very soon, and the comfort is coming, but it's a double comfort, you're going to see how everything you went through, and you did it so gracefully, and you did it so beautifully, and you're here, we're all here. Everything we went through gave us the ability to see Hashem with greater clarity. It wasn't destruction, it was plowing for greater growth.